Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. Uh, wow, what a week. What an incredible week. We've got so much to talk about tonight. In our guest segment, our good friend Derek Gilbert is back. He's here with another brand new book. This one is called Bad Moon Rising. Islam, Armageddon, and the Most Diabolical Double Cross in History. This looks like a really interesting book. And of course, Derek Gilbert is always one of our most captivating guests. He'll be here in a few minutes at the bottom of the hour in our guest segment. Next week, we have Joe Horn. Now, he's never been with us before, but uh, the guy's got a lot of great books out. His latest book is called Everyday Champions, and it's all about how God can use your spiritual gifts. And it's really interesting because so many of us, maybe we don't think we have a gift or maybe we don't realize all the different gifts that we have. And I really love the theme of this book. And Joe Horn will be with us in our guest segment next week. We continue to roll on commercial free. And uh, my daughter was visiting today. (laughs) This is crazy. My daughter is selling her house, and so she had an open house at her home, and she has three dogs. So she said, Dad, can I come over to your house with my three dogs during the open house? <laughs> and it was, it was a lot of fun. I have two dogs, so now there are five dogs at, at my house. And everything was fine except one of her dogs. He has this – it's like a squeal. I can't describe it to you. It's, it's like this high-pitched – sound that could almost kill you it's like a knife going through you it is not a normal bark it is some kind of a screech that this dog does and uh i'm still trying to regain my hearing (laughs) but that was a lot of fun uh today also my wife is out of town she's been on a trip since tuesday and so i am a bachelor here and i was explaining to her earlier how i decided that it was time to do the dishes And it wasn't so much the giant stack in all four of our kitchen sinks. It wasn't the size of the stack that got me motivated to do the dishes. It was the smell of the dishes. (laughs) So as a bachelor, and see, this is the deal my wife and I always have had, is I do the cooking, she does the cleaning. So I'm just not, I'm not really good with the dishes and all that. And to be honest with you, I don't like using the dishwasher. So everything I do is all hand washing, which is fine with me. I just rather do that than to deal with, you've got to see, here's the thing about dishwashers and my wife, we've always had dishwashers, but she goes through such a process of cleaning each dish before she puts it in the dishwasher. I simply ask the question, you know, you're already doing like 90% of the cleaning of the dishes before you put it in. 
why not just clean the rest of the dish and then set it aside and let it dry? So I'm trying to, I guess I'm testing out that theory, but we continue. My daughter was here today and she used to work for me, used to be producer of this radio show. And uh, she said, dad, you know, how, you know, how are you doing the show without commercials? So I kind of explained to her how I broke off from the network, how I'm doing the show now directly uh, streaming over the internet. And she said, but how can you afford to do that? How can you afford to have the show and not have commercials? And I said, well, what we do is every week we have a sponsor that pays for us to not have commercials. And um, since we broke off from the network, I really haven't gone out and tried to recruit any sponsors. I figure I'll sponsor them myself until I get to that point that I want to start recruiting some outside sponsors. But if you're listening and you're interested in doing that, uh, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to sponsor an episode. This program is not only live and has a pretty large audience live, but we also post the show after it's broadcast live on tons of different platforms and the show never goes away. So every show we record is up in the, you know, cybersphere forever. Uh, and so that's really cool. It's like buying an ad once and then getting promotion forever, uh, or at least until after my death. I don't know what <laughs> people will do after I'm gone. Maybe they'll delete everything. I don't know. But in any case, tonight's sponsor is BitcoinWorkshop.us. And if you'd like to learn more about Bitcoin, I've got a really great training program. These are all recorded videos. It includes a private Facebook group. It includes a copy of my new book, The 90-Minute Bitcoin quick start. I even give you some free cryptocurrency. Uh, once you become a member, it's a really cool thing. Not a lot of other programs that I've seen out there that actually go into this kind of detail and training. And if you want to find out more about it, even if you're just curious, maybe you're somebody that's kind of, you're on the bubble. Maybe you'd like to put some money in. You're not sure. Uh, you don't want to get scammed. Check it out. Bitcoinworkshop.us bitcoinworkshop.us. Okay. So I've got to pace myself because I've got three really interesting stories I want to get to tonight. I want to talk about Jeff Epstein tonight. I want to talk about what's happening with Bitcoin because Bitcoin's been on kind of a roller coaster ride. In fact, just a few minutes ago, Bitcoin dropped below $10,000. It's back up above that now. Um, but I want to talk about why that's not a bad thing. So if you're a Bitcoin investor and you're panicking, <laughs> if you're crying tonight, don't worry. This is all good. And I'm going to explain to you why this is not a big deal. And you need to be actually, you need to accept this and be okay with it. And I'm going to explain to you why tonight. And also a former Fox News host is on the run right now. And this is a bizarre story. Accusations of financial fraud are flying. And this former Fox News host has now disappeared to another country. This is incredible. We'll be talking about that tonight as well. So I've got to start tonight with Jeff Epstein. So this is not new to this show. We've been talking about Jeffrey Epstein now for months, including the recent discussion about this civil court case uh, where they're, they're suing to try to get all the documents unsealed from his original plea deal so that we can kind of know all the details of it. And, and of course, there's a lot of big names that don't want that to happen. Uh, but now we have the most recent rearrest uh, on the charges of allegedly sex trafficking minors. Now, there is a book, if you want the book to read on this, there is a book 
James Patterson, who is the novelist, one of the world's most you know, popular, famous novelists, he wrote a book two years ago. It got zero traction. The book is called Filthy Rich. It, the book has spiked in popularity this week, so much so that you cannot even buy it. I'm not kidding you. If you go to Amazon, it says they're out. You, they're out of stock. You can't have it. <laughs> so what I did was, because I wanted to read this book, and, and I thought I had it here. I couldn't find it. So I said, I'm just going to go ahead and buy another copy. Couldn't buy it. Tried to, tried to order it. I don't know. It's going to be weeks before they have more. So what I did was I bought the Kindle version, which they have because that's unlimited, you know, just give you the digital file. So I got that. And I also used my Audible account and I picked up the audio version of it. And I want to recommend to you, if you're, if you're really interested in the Jeff Epstein backstory, I would suggest to you that one of the most interesting ways to consume this book by James Patterson, Filthy Rich, is to get the audible version of it. It is very well narrated and it includes, let me just warn you, it includes some very explicit details about what he did sexually with these young women. These were women underage. Um, it, it, this is, these uh, accounts are part of the police reports, part of the actual testimony. And when you, it, it turns your stomach to hear this, but I'm telling you, after I finished listening to this book, it took me a couple of days. I finished it earlier today. And then I went through the Kindle version. I wanted to re uh, to read some of the sections that I wanted to just kind of make sure I understood it. It, it is, I have to tell you in my entire lifetime, I cannot think of any stranger, more unbelievable set of circumstances in that with all of this evidence that Epstein was able to get basically a slap on the wrist. And if you understand what his, his prison sentence was, it was actually a 13 month sentence that was reduced and he was allowed to leave the jail during the day. He could leave the jail and go to his house, his big mansion. He could go to his office, whatever. He just had to report at night for the eight hours. I mean, this is almost like uh, on Andy Griffith. What was the the drunk's name? Otis, how he had his own key and he would come in drunk and let himself in and he would unlock the jail cell and put himself to bed and then lock himself in. It, it's as bad as that. But when you understand the mountain of evidence that they had and the the nature of the complaints against uh, Epstein, it, it, it's it's hard to to believe. It's hard to believe he got such a light sentence. And then when you think about how little press this has gotten, and you know, I I know people hate when I get into conspiracies because there are others on the radio that go too far with that. But I have to tell you, um, this whole idea that there is this elite class in our culture that is sexually abusing young people and that they have everyone in power, prosecutors, uh, elected officials, the media, uh, all of these people behind them, helping them hide this and get away with this. I, I have to tell you, I am more convinced now than ever after really, truly understanding 
the backstory behind Jeffrey Epstein and how he was able to get away with this. And of course, this week, the um, uh, cabinet member, Trump cabinet member, Alex Acosta resigned. Um, I believe he was the commerce secretary because of the deal he went along with uh, many years ago, this ridiculous plea deal that Epstein got approved for. Now, when you read the book, there's a lot of things that jump out at you. And I want, I, I want to just give you some of these that just struck me. And, and when I say things like this, sometimes I get feedback from the audience like, wow, Jim, I would never have thought that. Like, I don't know. I, I haven't bounced this. Sometimes I bounce these things off my wife, but I am uh, here with my dogs <laughs> sequestered. So I have no one to bounce this off with. But, but let me just throw out to you two strange things. Um, about the book that I still can't wrap my brain around. I mean, there's so much about the book that I can't wrap my brain around, but just two kind of in in particular strange things. Okay. Um, Okay. So, so the first one is that Kenneth Starr, do you remember Kenneth Starr? He was the special counsel, the special prosecutor that, that brought Bill Clinton down. He was the guy, the Monica Lewinsky uh, investigator, um, all of that impeachment. He was he was the one that really wiped out Bill Clinton's legacy. Kenneth Starr. Do you remember Kenneth Starr? Kenneth Starr turns out to be one of Jeffrey Epstein's main attorneys that gets him out of all this trouble. Now, why is that weird? Well, number one. Uh, Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein are very close friends. In fact, um, according to media reports, Clinton has been on Epstein's plane some 27 times, in some cases actually uh, ditching his Secret Service detail. So these two are, are super close. And then you've got this guy, Kenneth Starr, who I guess if Bill Clinton had like a top three enemy list, this guy would be on that list. Maybe he's number one. Um, the guy that brought down Bill Clinton, Kenneth Starr, is Epstein's lawyer. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just weird. And then Kenneth Starr, of course, is this uh, conservative Republican, um, was, I believe, um, Solicitor General under the Bush administration. So here's this like conservative Christian guy, I believe. Uh, I believe he's a Christian man. And uh, here he is, somehow the lawyer for Jeffrey Epstein. Um, now, I know some of you are going to say everybody has a right to, def- to a defense. And, uh, you know, lawyers will tell me, that, hey, look, you know what? If I was called to represent John Wayne Gacy, the guy that buried dozens of young men in his basement, uh, our Constitution says he has a right to a defense. Okay, you're a better person than me. <laughs> and maybe that's why I quit law school after one year. Because I don't know, there, there's a point at which something stinks so bad, um, I'm not going there. And, and, and consider me, I guess, uh, disbarred if I ever did <laughs> finish law school. But, you know, these are the kind of cases where, you know, a Ken Starr did not have to represent Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, it wasn't like Epstein with all of his millions and millions of dollars. Some say he's a billionaire that he couldn't have gotten someone else. Um, And when you look at the legal strategies used um, by both uh, Kenneth Starr, as well as Alan Dershowitz, this was like, 
when you think about litigation and you think about, you know, litigation is like a fight. It's a battle. I get all that. But when you're dealing with young uh, girls who have been uh, sexually abused by an adult, and then what you're doing as a legal strategy is to try and go after these young girls' backgrounds and their social media and trying to do everything you can to basically destroy them so that they aren't witnesses. I guess that's what lawyers do. I, I don't know. But the whole thing just turns my stomach. And uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, he was involved with the OJ defense. So that doesn't surprise me so much. But the Kenneth Starr thing does, not only because of the man that I thought Kenneth Starr was, um, but the fact that he and Bill Clinton are are like, I mean, arch enemies, it, it appears. And, and this makes me always wonder, is this like the fake wrestling? My son, when he was 15, for his Christmas one year, he wanted to go to see the wrestling, the pro wrestling, the fake wrestling. And we got seats like in the fourth or fifth row. And when you're sitting that close, you can actually see that they're actually not hitting each other that it's all camera angles and it's all just a big fake show. He didn't care. He, he kind of knew that, but he still liked it. And that's fine. He looks at it like stuntmen that are acting and performing, whatever. But I always had this feeling like all of these people in Washington, they're all really together. They're all really on the same team. And that this whole adversarial idea of Democrats versus Republicans is really just a stage presentation for us, that that's not really what's happening. Um, and, and, and this Ken Starr thing just could make, I could make no sense of it. Now, let me tell you the other thing. The other thing is James Patterson. So here's James Patterson, a guy who's known for writing novels, a fiction writer, who decides, um, he lives in Palm Beach. This is where Jeffrey Epstein lives. He decides he's going to go in with these two other writers and he's going to write this book about Jeffrey Epstein, a, 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 a nonfiction book. And it is nonfiction. And you think to yourself, okay, so he writes this book, but I, I, I scoured through it and Bill Clinton is mentioned a few times, but not mentioned as prominently as really the facts would dictate. For example, uh, all of the trips, 27 trips, uh, Clinton ditching his Secret Service, uh, clearly the implication being that Bill Clinton, as we know the man and his womanizing, that he might have been involved with some of these sexual things that went on on the Jeff Epstein Island. I don't know. But here's what's weird. Two years later, after this book comes out, which sort of uh, Bill Clinton had a very tiny mention in the book here and there, um, James Patterson and Bill Clinton are teaming up. This is two years later, so this was just earlier, a few months ago. Patterson and Clinton team up on a, uh, a novel called The President is Missing. I don't think it did well. It, and it's like the, the Clintons are, are pawing for money from every angle they can go at it. So it's like now Bill Clinton has his name uh, on a book with James Patterson, uh, a, a novel. But I thought to myself, now oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Bill Clinton kind of keeps a low profile in this Jeff Epstein book. Now, if I wrote the book, 
I would think, or if there was a movie made, I would think that Bill Clinton would be like a major part of this book, not only because he's a former president, but because of the number of trips he went on that private plane. Um, you would think he would be up there as like a major presence throughout the whole book, but he wasn't. So part of me wonders, hmm, maybe, maybe this was, uh, maybe this was a little bit of I'll scratch your back and you scratch my back. And uh, Clinton decided to do that uh, novel with Patterson a couple of years later. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I don't want to be sued. <laughs> but some of the names that come out in this book, listen to these names. Former Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, who, by the way, is denying this to the point <laughs> that it's almost like an admission. You know how when people, thou protesteth too much, is that the quote? Uh, this is a big deal in Israel now that, that Epstein has been rearrested and his connections with Ehud Barak, who there was a quote I read today that Barak says – uh, he's going to cut off business ties with Epstein. So apparently he's still got business ties with him. I, that's the implication of the article. Then, of course, there's Alan Dershowitz, uh, who not just was a lawyer, but there's also allegations against him, and he's fighting those and denies those and all of that. Dustin Hoffman is mentioned in the book. Mick Jagger, the um, uh, former cabinet member under Clinton, Bill Richardson, and then he went on to become governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, and then David Koch, who's, of course, one of the, the Koch brothers, um, Henry Kissinger, Ted Kennedy, and on and on and on. Now, the most mysterious name, mysterious, because this is a guy that doesn't really have much of a big public profile, but he's a billionaire, and his name is Les Wexner. Now, you may not know the name, but he is a, a multi-billionaire, and he's the guy that originally started the a number of retail chains, including Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, um, The Limited, The Limited 2, and, and others, and is a very, very wealthy guy, I guess, from Columbus, Ohio, is where he's based out of. And as you read the book, there's this kind of interwoven relationship between Wexner and Epstein. Just weird stuff like that Epstein owns this property in Manhattan, which is like the largest residential property in all of Manhattan that Epstein owns. And the story in the book is that Les Wexner buys this property and then deeds it to uh, Epstein for zero at some point. And I'm like, what? I mean, who does that? I don't know. Um, I'm not implying anything um, lurid here about Les Wexner. I don't know. I'm just saying this is just weird. Now, I, I spent a lot of time this week, this week reading different articles, and, and I want to know, and I talked about this a little bit last week, where did Jeffrey Epstein gain his wealth from? Uh, he's the last several days. The news has been calling him a hedge fund manager. However, the hedge fund management community is saying he is not a hedge fund manager. 
And they, they're saying this because he doesn't move in their circles. He doesn't have the SEC filings that you would file if you were a hedge manager. There's a lot of reasons why they're saying this, and it's not too hard to verify that he's not actually legitimately a hedge fund manager. And, and I find this completely bizarre that somebody could accumulate this much money. Allegedly, he's worth a billion plus dollars, Jeff Epstein, and nobody knows where his money came from. I find this completely unbelievable. Someone, at least in the government, has to know where his money came from. I mean, goodness sake, there's got to be tax returns and and filings and um, corporate documents. And th- I know he's he, he's running this all out of the U.S. Virgin Islands, out of St. Thomas. So there's different ways of using corporations to kind of create a, a veil of privacy. But but still, this much money uh, can can be traced and tracked. Now, James Patterson, when he wrote the book, he uh, had three private investigators that looked into uh, the the finances of Jeff Epstein. And they couldn't figure out where his money came from. In the book, it's like left as a mystery. We don't know where his money came from. So let me do this quickly because I know our guest is coming up here in about six or seven minutes. Um, all right, so here are, the, here are the different scenarios. He's running a Ponzi scheme. He is running a blackmail scheme. That is, he's introducing these men to young women, and then he uses that as blackmail. Uh, that's a theory. Um, the third one is he's somehow connected to U.S. intelligence. Now, that's not that far-fetched because Alex Acosta, in fact, was interviewed before he was brought into the Trump cabinet and asked about why he went along with the plea deal on Epstein. And he said he was told to back off because Epstein was connected to U.S. intelligence. That's actually true. That was what he said. So that's a viable theory. Number four, he's running some kind of tax scheme, tax avoidance scheme for other people and getting a cut of the money. However, all of that being said, here's my best guess. I believe that he is involved with money laundering. I really believe that not only because of his location, um, but the guy is supposedly a mathematical genius, incredible with numbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he may be both a money launderer and have a connection to U.S. intelligence. I mean, this is not just in movies where U.S. intelligence takes someone like an Epstein and turns them into an asset where he can provide them with information on certain situations. So maybe they say, look, hands off, you can do money laundering for uh, drug dealers, all these other things. But when it comes to like a terrorist situation, you have to tell us. And so that's sort of his deal. I don't know, but that's my theory that, that he is possibly connected to intelligence and his money comes from money laundering. That's my, my guess. Um, okay. We're, we're almost out of time and I went way too long on my Jeff Epstein comments. I have so much more to talk about in this. Maybe I'll do a special episode midweek uh, for podcast downloaders uh, with more of my thoughts. All right. So uh, former Fox News host, his name is Clayton Morris, and he used to be on on Fox and Friends on the weekend. 
and I really liked this guy. He was really good with technology. He would go to like all the different technology shows and he'd bring all these different gadgets on the show. It seemed like a good guy, a young guy. And uh, apparently uh, the story is that he and a business partner, he got involved with some kind of real estate investments and now people are coming after him, suing him and allegations of fraud are flying and then him, he and his wife and his two children up and leave the United States. And now they're living, I guess, in Spain. And I read a blog article by his wife and she said, we just got sick of all the accusations. Uh, my husband is innocent. Um, wh why should we stay in New Jersey to be harassed? Uh, anywhere we go in public, people are questioning us. And uh, we're still going to deal with our legal issues, but we're going to deal with them from Spain. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I hate to say this, um, but, you know, you pick up and leave the country when people are accusing you of fraud. I don't think that's a good chess move. I don't know if he's guilty or not. I have no information one way or the other, but I find this story fascinating um, going to Spain. And Spain has an extradition agreement with the U.S., and I looked at it today, and it is very interesting. Um, you can be extradited from Spain to the U.S. if the crime you're being charged with has a sentence of more than one year, and if the crime you're being charged with is also considered a crime in Spain. I don't know if whatever, I mean, this could be some kind of crime could be charged. I don't know, like investment fraud or something like this. Maybe that, maybe Spain is a good place for Clayton Morris to be. I don't know. I don't know that he's guilty of anything. He, his side of it is it's all of his, his business partner's fault, not his. And maybe that's true. Maybe this guy is guilty of nothing, but he did just up and disappear to Spain. That is on the internet. You can read it. An interesting story. Maybe the guy's getting a, uh, you know, maybe he's not getting fair treatment but I thought the story was interesting. Okay, so what's going on with Bitcoin? Uh, very volatile. Um, a few minutes ago, as I mentioned, Bitcoin had dropped below $10,000. It's above 10,000 right now. 10,154 is your live quote at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, there is uh, a war being, <laughs> a war being, they're planning to go to war with Facebook this week, the Democrats, over the, the idea of Facebook starting its own cryptocurrency, the Libra cryptocurrency. That has really caused jitters in the market. I'm not really sure why, though, because let's play this out. Let's say that, let's say that uh, Facebook is, is blocked from having their own cryptocurrency. I think that's even better for Bitcoin because now Bitcoin, you know, there's no competition with Bitcoin. But I, the people that ran Bitcoin up from the recent price of like 3500 to up to almost $15,000, a lot of that was, wow, well, well, if Facebook is doing cryptocurrency, that legitimizes cryptocurrency, so let's buy Bitcoin. That, so, so there's a fear that that narrative sort of goes up in smoke. But let me tell you why Facebook will launch their own cryptocurrency. 
um, because how they're doing it, it's really going to be more of a token. And the Securities and Exchange Commission has already said that tokens are not securities, and it's going to be backed by all kinds of assets. So I don't see any way they can stop them from having it. And they've got like 28 of the largest corporations in the country backing them, uh, like like MasterCard and Visa. I mean, all of these elected officials are owned by these financial companies. And I think Facebook was smart in getting this, um, you know, amassing this group of 28 uh, to, to back them on this Geneva, Switzerland-based currency launch, which is supposed to happen next year. And of course, Trump came out earlier in the week and said he doesn't like Bitcoin. Now, the Bitcoin people were super excited about that because it was the first time a sitting president actually said the word Bitcoin in public. And I guess he did it over his Twitter. So it's funny how this news, everybody takes this news and runs with it in a different direction. Some people would have said, oh, Trump's against Bitcoin, sell your Bitcoin. But then everybody said, no, this, this puts Bitcoin on the map that a president has mentioned it. The same thing here with this uh, legislation that the Democrats are proposing this week to block Facebook from having its own cryptocurrency, uh, you know, is that a bad thing? Uh, some people say yes, and they're selling and Bitcoin went down today. Um, but we don't want Bitcoin to go up too fast. This is what I posted in my private Bitcoin group is we don't want Bitcoin to run up to 20,000 and then collapse again, like what happened two years ago. So this is a good thing. You know, let it kind of go up slowly, percolate. You know, there's great support at 10,000. So once it gets to 10,000 or a little bit below, all the buyers run back in. So I'm good with kind of how things are right now. And I think this trading range of 10,000 to 12,000 is a good place to be right now, maybe until things cool off a little bit. Okay, that's my first segment. I went too long and my guest is holding. So we're going to fire up the intro. We'll be back in one minute with our special guest. Derek Gilbert, the book, Bad Moon Rising. Stay tuned. We'll be back. 